This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here for our second part of our competition between a gunfight, if you will, between Tombstone and Young Guns 1 and Young Guns 2. Dog, did you see the size of that chicken? <laughs> we are going to get on our spirit horse and see where he leads us. Yep. Okay. Casting on Young Guns. Okay. So we talked earlier, Christopher Kane, the director of Young Guns, yep. directed Emilio Estevez in That Was Then, This Is Now. Yep. Estevez name sometimes throws people off. He is the son of Martin Sheen yep. and the brother of Charlie Sheen. Yep. Sheen is their professional name. Yes. I heard Emilio talking about this. They're like, did you ever think about taking the Sheen name? He's like, well, yeah, I did. He said, uh, I had a lot of agents coming to me and saying, look, kid, with a name like Sheen, you know, your dad can propel you a lot if you'll just use it. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, okay. And so he took some headshots and it said Emilio Sheen. And he's like, he laughed. He's like, that just looks so stupid to have such a strong Latin first name. Right. And then such a regular last name. Yeah. He's like, it's it's too, I can't do it. Right. I can't do it. Change it back to Estevez. Carlos Estevez, but he yeah. goes by Charlie Sheen. It's not really an Americanized version of Emilio. There's no Charlie to go to on that one. We just call him Andrew. <laughs> I would expect more from a varsity athlete, Andrew. <laughs> All right. So you've got Emilio Estevez, who's hot off of uh, The Breakfast Club. Yep. One movie that he was in that I forgot to mention that is a personal favorite of mine is an Essie Hinton story that they made called Tex. Oh, he's in that. He's in. Yeah. He's in that Matt Dillon. Yeah. And it took place and shot all around Tulsa, Oklahoma when I was growing up. So uh, definitely fond memories of that movie. Cool. Then you've got Kiefer Sutherland. Yep. You wrote 15 year old boy straight into his grave and the rest of us straight to hell. Okay. Backing up to Emilio Estevez real quick. Yeah. He was, he turned 26 when Young Guns was shot in 1988. Right. And there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. You can go to hell, hell, hell. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Kiefer Sutherland yep. had just done The Lost Boys. Yeah. Flashback to our Lost Boys episode. Yes. He had just turned 21. He turned 22 at the at the end of 88. He's just it's crazy 21 years old. He looks like the older, wiser guy of the group, but he was the youngest cast member. It, it, fascinating. Yeah. He had been in Stand By Me at 20. He was the bad guy in Stand By Me yeah. with member of his gang. Casey. Casey Shemesco. Yep. Yep. All right. And Casey Shemesco. No, 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 no. No, it's you, not. Is that right, John? You and I? Yes, yes, it is. is. Turned 27 in 1988. He had been in Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. He'd been in a movie called Three O'Clock High. Yeah. I think we've mentioned this a few times. If you have not seen Three O'Clock High and you like 80s movies, awesome, awesome movie. So I told you that my brother got certified scuba diving with KC Zemesco, right? Let's hear it. I don't have it. He didn't. Oh, he, dang was, it. he was at a, he was at like a Formula One race, and he was too loud. And I was like, I need the Casey. Uh, never mind. Okay. So your brothers took scuba lessons. Well, yeah, he, he got his certification, like the last dive that you do when you're becoming certified scuba diver. And his opinion at the time, back in the '80s, was that Casey was an a hole. 
<laughs> but my brother was a teenager back then so what does he know i'm not i'm not saying that i was just maybe maybe casey was having a bad day that day casey he plays charlie boundary yeah okay then you have lou diamond phillips many nights my friend many nights i put a blade to your throat while you were sleeping glad i never killed you steve yes he was actually one of the oldest guys he was 25 when they shot young guys right now he had just come off of Stand and Deliver and La Bamba. La Bamba. Which, it's interesting, those, I mean, those are obviously well-known movies. We know them very well. But, I mean, Stand and Deliver was like a micro-budget independent movie. Wow. La Bamba was a negative pickup project small budget movie that just have they both happened to hit but he hadn't gotten any work for like six months and he's like okay oh i got this part that's a cowboy movie i'll go audition for it okay great and they send him the script but they don't tell him what the audition pieces are and so he's like i'm just going to go pick out my favorite scenes and i'll just know those scenes so i can use that right he's meeting with the producers with christopher kane and he's like okay and they're talking and he's like i'm really excited about this hope i can be a part of this project um i don't know what the audition parts are but i've memorized some of these other parts and they're looking at him like yeah you got the part already buddy you don't have to and he's like oh and it was like that moment that he knew that he had made it like he didn't realize that despite the fact that he had had two really successful movies under his belt he was still new and he wasn't getting work (laughs) he wasn't getting work and he's like oh i have it all right yeah yeah yeah, thank you yeah i want it yes okay (laughs) quick funny story on lou diamond films that's a great story yeah that every night after shooting they would go to the bar this is in new mexico and this is like i think they stayed in santa fe yeah. Right. But Santa Fe is not exactly New York City or Hollywood no. or anything. Right. So, but they do have karaoke bars. They, apparently they do. <laughs> so there was this, uh, you know, a, a local band playing and, and you got all these young guys who are at the bar drinking, having fun, young, whatever. And so every night, every night they'd be like, all right, Lou, let's go up here. La Bamba, hit it. <laughs> so he said that every night they would, he, they would make him sing La Bamba and they would always sing Knocking on Heaven's Door. Oh, nice. Flashback to our Usual Illusion 2 episode. By the way, just in case anybody doesn't know, he didn't actually sing La Bamba in the movie La Bamba. It was the group <laughs> Los, Los Lobos, Lobos yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's hysterical. Man, this guy sucks. I do love that in the movie. <laughs> uh. All right. Charlie Sheen, who is Emilio's younger brother, he plays Dick Brewer. Yes. Billy, go in there and cut the son of a bitch in half. I'm daring you, Billy who was actually supposed to be played by Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. But Patrick Swayze said, I've done too many of these ensemble pieces. I I was in The Outsiders. I was in Red Dawn. I don't want to be that guy that's in these group pieces every time. So no, thank you. Patrick Swayze would have been awesome as a cowboy. Perfect. Yeah, yeah it's perfect. But Charlie Sheen does a fantastic job. He does great. Okay. And then Dermot Moroni. Uh-huh. Plays Dirty Steve Stevens. Yeah. You're a red-ass Mexican greaser. You do it with your horse. <coughs> Mexican greaser! They said that uh, the prop guys came to him and were like, all right, dude, you got to have your face dirty the whole time. You're always chewing tobacco. And so he would chew actual tobacco. Oh. And and he, like, crams that chaw in there like oh Lenny Dykstra. Yeah. And they asked him, they're like... <laughs> It's like he can't even close his lips, right? (laughs) So they they said, you know, we can 
make fake tobacco where it's like Tootsie Rolls. And he's like, no, no, man, no real tobacco. So he just, he did the real deal. That's, so that is funny because the, the real person's name was Dirty Steve. Yes. And they pointed out on Dan Lefebvre, the based on a true story, Young Guns episode. They're like, the common practice was to take a bath once a week back then. <laughs> right. That's what everybody did. Right. How dirty did you have to be to be called Dirty Steve back know, when everybody right? else took a bath once a week? It's yeah. I, I watched, I listened to the commentary of Young Guns, which I thought this was hilarious. So they were Lou Diamond Phillips and Casey Schmesco were, were saying to Dermot Roney, they were like, uh-huh. Dude, you were dirty. You were dirty all the time. He's like, I took a shower every day. <laughs> he goes, he goes, I just didn't. He goes, when I washed my hair, I did never use shampoo. So it's like not oh. washing, that's getting wet. So he said, that was that was kind of my my contribution. Yeah. I didn't use shampoo. Congratulations, you got your hair wet. The dirt is now wet. <laughs> so we got Terrence Stamp as John Tunstall. Yeah. Mr. Murphy is going to continue coming to you claiming I've taken his property until I'm pronounced the thief and shaken out of Lincoln. Who? General Zod. General Zod, which it was neat to see him as a good guy. He was, I mean, he all I awesome. ever knew him. He was genteel, yeah. smart, yeah. and well-meaning. Yep. And then you've got Jack Palance with this horrible Irish accent. Well, the belted earl has spoken. But he was still a great bad guy. Yeah. He's always over the top. He is. Well, Englishman. Um, and then you have Terry O'Quinn as Alex McSween. Yeah. Who was also in Tombstone as the mayor. That's right. Yeah. A little crossover there. That is right. There is a connection right there. Okay. So let's talk about Young Guns 2 real quick. All right. So let's talk about Young Guns 2 real quick. Obviously, a lot of the same folks are involved, but it's actually not a lot. It's three. It's, it's only three. It's only three. It's Billy the Kid, it's Chavez Chavez, and it is... Doc Skurlock. Doc Skurlock, which is interesting because some of the guys that were killed, Dirty Steve and Charlie, they didn't They die. didn't get killed. No, yeah. they didn't die, which is a shame because it would have been great to see them in part two. And they had started writing part two while filming of part one was still going on. They thought there's going to be some unanswered questions. There's more to the story. We want to develop this thing. And so John Fusco got a whole lot of Billy's dialogue from actual newspaper interviews and reports that had been done between 1879 and 1881. By the way, Fusco also appears as the branded man in that pit scene in Young Guns 2. Yes. The one with Bon Jovi in it. Yes. Right? He's got the JC for John Chisholm. Yeah. Branded on him. Got branded. Okay. Yeah. Should we we talk about cameos now or wait? Let's talk about them now. Let's talk about them now. I just mentioned it, so we might as well, right? Okay, all right. So Young Guns 2. Let's let's talk about Young Guns 1 first. Okay, let's talk about Young Guns 1. The cameos from Young Guns 1. Okay. So who shows up? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, who's buddies with Emilio Estevez because they were both in The Outsiders together. That's right. Shot in? Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) Little, Little text connection there. All right. Yeah. And so he had never been shot in a movie before. And he's like, man, I'd love it if I could get shot. And like, dude, let's do it. Of course. Get this guy a mustache and a trench coat and a cowboy hat. Yeah. Okay. You have to look really quickly. Uh-huh. When 
after or you can use the freeze frame well, like every well, player has these right. days, but yeah, sure. <laughs> the scene where they are burning down Alex's house and the regulators are trapped inside and they decide to make a run for it, right? Yep. They throw Billy out the top window, spoilers, in a box. Right. Okay. And he jumps up. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then Charlie comes out the side door. The next bad guy who gets shot. Is Tom Cruise. Yeah. When you look, you're like, yep, that's Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. I but heard... I never knew it until I was that till this little secret was revealed when we were looking. It's fascinating. When he came to town, he said that uh, you know, of course they're young or whatever, and they're like, he's like, Hey guys, what are you guys doing? And they're like, Well, we're just shooting this cowboy movie. He's like, How about tomorrow we go skiing? They're like, Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we're in New Mexico. I know. So they all <laughs> went skiing, oh, nice. except for Lou Diamond Phillips, who didn't know how to ski. He's also scared of heights. He is scared of heights. Which makes that scene, the uh, spirit worlds. You see the size of that chicken. You see the size of that cockadoodle-doo. <laughs> he's standing up on that rock, like 30 feet off the ground. Yeah, and if you look at his face, you see fear in his eyes. <laughs> you do. Yeah. yeah. Also, cameo is Randy Travis. What? Randy Travis. Randy freaking Travis. Randy Travis. Pure country. No, wait. That's, 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 well, that's George. Travis. There is Sorry. a pure country uh, connection. Okay. Go ahead. Christopher Kane. Yes. Directed pure country. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Randy Travis is one of the guys operating the Gatlin gun. What? Yes. Wow. Randy Travis, you know, boom, 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 boom. He takes out Alex McSween. Wow. Okay. That's good. You want another cameo? Sure. Another cameo. Bad guy who gets killed? Yeah. Emilio Estevez. Oh, yeah. He's sitting around one day, bored out of his mind. He's like, crap, put me in. Let me get shot. Yeah. They're short on extras. He didn't have anything to shoot that day. He's like, make me one of the bad guys. All right. So we're coming into Young Guns 2 here. Okay. Where obviously a major character is Pat Garrett. Yes. Not played by the same actor. That's right. Do you know who the actor was in the first one? Yes, I do. His name was Patrick Wayne. Wayne. Son of Bruce Wayne, John Wayne, <laughs> John Wayne, John freaking Wayne son was Pat Garrett. He was awesome. Yeah. It's great. And they have that scene in young guns. It's, it's kind of interesting. He comes to tell Billy that he's in, in trouble and needs to skin out and go for old Mexico. Right? Yeah. Right. And Billy actually turns his back on him Yeah, and says, Pat, are you my friend? Uh-huh. And if you look really carefully in the background, it's out of focus. His hand goes to his gun. And then he's like, yeah, Billy, I'm your friend. He puts his hand down. It's like, do I take this guy out? Nope. No. I'm not going to. No. And then, of course, yes. In part two, William Peterson from CSI fame. And he was in To Live and Die in L.A. He's in Manhunter. He was in Manhunter. That's With right. With Stephen Lang, who was Ike Clanton. They were both in Manhunter. Really? Yes. Connections everywhere. Yeah. Stephen Lang was the reporter that they set on fire. I can remember that from that uh, from Is watching that it one right? time back in the nineties. Yeah, I mean, I remember that scene. I didn't yeah. know that was Stephen Lane. Yeah. Okay. He has this crazy, like, very curly hairdo. Interesting. He also, by the way, was in the first movie we saw together, which was Avatar. He's the general who's he's fantastic bad guy. Bad A. Yeah. I saw an interview with him, and they're like, "So did you get a percentage of this movie?" He's like, "That's interesting." My son asked me that question whether I got a percentage of this movie. Yes, I did. I got zero percent of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too bad. One percent of Avatar would have been a bazillion dollars. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we talked about William Peterson. Okay. Right. Super famous now because he was in CSI forever and ever. Yep. Okay. 
You also had Christian Slater, who plays Arkansas Dave Rudabaugh. Yep. Hey, tell me something, Chavez. Was it the savages putting it to a Mexican whore, or was it an Indian whore putting it to the whole goddamn Mexican whore? Oh, 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 come on, oh. He was actually 20 years old Wow. when he shot. Yeah, because he's he playing was, a 25 year old. He was just like the kid in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, right? That's just, right. Yeah. That's right. One year later, yeah. Yeah. So you have Christian Slater. You also have Alan Ruck, who played Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. When Cameron was in Egypt's land. Sorry, don't do that. Take cut that. That was terrible. No, that's fine. He was 34 when he shot this, which he's not really a young gun. He was a farmer or whatever. Yeah. But the the amazing thing is that he was 30 years old when he played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. nuts, yes. But that character is not an actual historical figure. That was William, William Hendry French was not a true figure. Right. But Arkansas Dave Rudabaugh was. was. And he had been with the regulators for quite a while. Like he would, he had been with them. That was the other thing. There were about 20 regulators, not six. Right. So that was a little Hollywood license that was done there. But he was one of the original regulators. You also have Balthazar Getty. Yes. He plays Tom O'Fulliard. He was the kid that was in Lord of the Flies, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. He turned 15 during the shooting of Young Guns 2. Right. He actually, he's the 14 one. 14 and a half. That half is important. That half has a lot of experience in there. <laughs> he, the interesting thing about that character that he plays, Tom O'Fulliard, Tom O'Fulliard, I think I'm saying that right. Historically, that was one of the best friends of Billy the Kid. Oh, really? So when he was shot and killed as a regulator, yeah, it wasn't this... You kill a kid, Patsy. No, it's just a, he was just a regular same age guy as the rest of them. Right. Okay. So a couple of names worth mentioning. We got Vigo Mortensen. Oh gosh. Yes. As as John W. Poe pre Lord of the Rings, where he was, became mega famous. Gotta have a movement. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. You also have Jenny Wright who played Rob Lowe's wife in St. Elmo's Fire. Oh. That also had Emilio Estevez. Yeah, that's right. She plays Jane Goodall. Yep. And I don't know how we didn't mention the fact that Dana Wheeler Nicholson was Maddie Blaylock in Tombstone, but she was the love interest in Fletch. She was uh, Mrs. Stanwyck. Right. Mrs. Stanwyck. Yeah. Mr. Cocktoson. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, we've never, we haven't covered Fletch yet, but we need to. We do. Okay. So talking about those characters and historical accuracy and that sort of thing. So the original screenplay actually had Doc Skurlock living at the end. Kiefer Sutherland was going to live just like happened in real life, going to Texas with his wife, right? Right. And so why did it end the way that it did? Well, apparently Kiefer Sutherland said, hey, I got scheduling conflicts and I'm not going to come back to the Young Guns franchise unless you have my character die in the stinking Springs shootout. And John Fusco was like, no, that's no, 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 no. Doc has to live. But uh, ultimately he went ahead and did what Kiefer said. And that's why he dies. So it was Kiefer. Kiefer's doing. Yeah. The real Doc Skurlock lived until 1929, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yep. 1929, he died at age 80, which here's a funny story about this. Uh, Yeah. He got in a gunfight one time, Doc Skurlock. Okay. Before he became a regulator. Yeah. Over a card game. Okay. Got shot in the face. Good thing he went to medical school. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he. Got, let's talk about that. He got the name Doc. 
Yeah. Because he studied medicine at Tulane. Yeah. He was in, from New Orleans. He right? just left early. <laughs> yeah. Got shot in the face. Okay. The yep. bullet took out his front teeth. Okay. And exited his neck. Eey. And it didn't even knock him down. <laughs> and so after the dude had fired his bullet, he just raised his gun and blew the guy away. Wow. Took one in the face and then returned fire, killed the guy. Yeah. It's a fair fight, Sheriff. Okay. Are we, are we talking about Young Guns too? Yeah, we're talking about Young Guns too. And, you know, it's interesting. I saw the interviews on this. Like every single one of the returning characters, obviously, said they liked Young Guns 2 better than Young Guns 1. Now, of course, they're promoting the movie as well. So, right. of course, they would say that. But I could, like I said, I remember liking it better when I was a kid too. But one of the other things that Emilio Estevez said was he talked about the other Billy the Kid movies that he had seen that might have had some influence on it. He said probably the biggest influence on this movie was Sam Peckinpah's Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which was 1973. I've never seen that movie. Okay. So, you know, do you know who played Pat Garrett in that movie? <sighs> Tell me. James Coburn, who yeah. played John Chisholm. Mr. Chisholm. In Young Guns too. You took a lot of people's farms, Mr. Chisholm. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's interesting. Yeah. There's another Billy the Kid movie that came out in 1989. What? It was a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. Do you know who played the part of Billy the Kid? No. Val Kilmer. What? Yes. No way. Is your mind blown? I think I actually saw that movie. Like, he had the old top hat that, like, Billy the Kid has in the old pictures, and it was... I I can remember seeing that movie and going, this is nowhere near as good as Young Guns. I don't even know that I watched it all the way through. But Val Kilmer, 1989. I mean, he's made Top Secret. He's made Real Genius. But somehow, 1989, he's in a TV movie as Billy the Kid. Wow, that's a good one. You're blowing my mind with that. I didn't know that. Okay, Young Guns 2, I want to talk about a couple of things. Okay. Okay. Lou Diamond Phillips almost died on set. Yeah. I sent you this video. Yeah, I had se- I had seen it. I actually okay. asked I asked you because of like this is such a fantastic story. If you don't know it, I'm going to be excited to tell it. So you already know it. You go ahead. Well, okay. So here's the deal. I'm so, going to jump in. I can't help. It. I'm going to jump in while well, you're telling ahead. the story. Okay. Go, go ahead. Go tell it. Go tell it. Okay. So they uh, they had already shot most of the dramatic scenes. So now they're doing everything on horseback and mm-hmm. Lou Diamond Phillips horse. Arrow yeah. was a pain in his butt from day one. Yeah, he is he was from Texas. So he's like, oh, I've ridden a horse before. And they're like, all right, we'll give you the one that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Lou Diamond Phillips is not Latino. He's Filipino. Yeah. He's got a little Cherokee in him, I believe. But yes. Mexican Indian. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I just found that interesting that he he is not Latino at all. Yeah. Anyway, so there's a scene where he's got chains on, handcuffs. And they put a squib in between so that he was going to come running one way. You know, Emilio Estevez is coming the other way. Billy's going to shoot, boom, break the handcuffs in half. Right. This was a scene that they had not planned. Right. This was a last minute, hey, we decided to do this. Right. Well, he had just escaped from jail. He was supposed to be hung. Right. So he still had a noose around his neck. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the prop man hadn't had a chance to score the noose. Right. And so what generally happens is if you're ever in any kind of dangerous situation, there's always a way out. So they score the noose in case something happens and that way it'll tear away if you get it hooked on something. Yeah. Well, here comes Emilio and his gun and here comes Lou Diamond Phillips and his gun. They fire that squib goes off and Lou Diamond Phillips horse rears back high in the air straight up. Yeah. 
tosses Lou off the horse. Well, the, the noose gets hung on the saddle. So he's got a real noose around his neck that's hooked to the saddle. And there goes Arrow. Boom. Down the street. There was like one thing and it was Mexico. Right. It was the desert. It was the desert. <laughs> the horse was dragging him to the barren desert. So he's being pulled, yeah. right? Like the choking him to death. Yeah. People are chasing after him. The horse kicks him, breaks his elbow, right? It, it broke his arm in two places. Four places. Well, yeah. And but compound- two, of them, two of them were compound fractures. It came through the skin. Oh, my gosh. So then they it continues to, to pull and it tears through. You know, he takes out this prop thing and this wood pile and that thing. And then he, he finally hits a thing of, of railroad ties. Yeah. Crashes and breaks he, his patella. He was being dragged for like, it was going on and on. And these horse hooves are like inches away from his face. Yes. He actually gets kicked in the head at one point. <laughs> oh my gosh. And he thought he was, he was, he was like, I'm, this is it. This is it. I'm having that moment that people have before they die. I'm about to die. So he finally, when he hits that pile of railroad ties, yeah, it breaks the rope. Yeah. Breaks the rope. Crazy. That's around his neck. Yeah. Breaks his patella. Too. Breaks his patella on the railroad ties. So they have to airlift him because there's no ambulances in the middle of nowhere. And it's going to be an hour before the helicopter can get there. Right. So they've called the medic over yes. and it's Emilio Estevez on one side, the medic on the other side and everything that had been numb. And then he starts, uh, Lou Diamond Phillips starts to feel the pain everywhere. And he starts screaming, you know, in the movie, when, when Chavez is screaming and you're like, wow, he's really hurt. That's the screaming that he's doing. And so Emilio Estevez is freaking out. He's like, give him morphine, give him morphine. Yeah. And the the medic's like, no, 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 no. We don't know what kind of internal injuries he has. You know, the morphine could do something really bad to him. He's like, he's, he grabs him by the shirt lapels. He's like, he is in pain. Give him morphine. And so I don't know the story, whether he got the morphine or not. I'm guessing so, but there's an hour wait. Emilio Estevez lays down next to Lou Diamond Phillips and just sits there and just holds him, comforts him, talks to him the entire time until the helicopter gets there. He was in the hospital for like six weeks or something. Made me tear up when I heard that story. That's a good friend. They're pals. And he's being pals. No. (laughs) And there was no report whether or not Lou Diamond Phillips was going, I'd say, I'd say. (laughs) Sweet Mary's ass. How the hell did you get him to do that? What's that mean anyway? I'd say, I'd say. It's an ancient Navajo word. It means stop. Stop. So practical jokes abounded. Yes. On the set as right. well. On the set of the original movie, when they the Young Guns won, when they came in, they all got a package that was purportedly from the studio saying, you know, this is what we think of your chances for success. We're really rooting for you guys. And then you open up the package and it was cow chips. <laughs> Thank that you. was that was actually Emilio Estevez, and he had done that, and he sent it off. But he actually had been in a big breakup right before this, and was kind of sad and brooding for the entire shoot for Young Guns One. Right, and so to lighten the mood, Lou Diamond Phillips puts makeup on a sheep and then throws it into Emilio Estevez's trailer. That's so nice of him. Yeah, <laughs> pals, his pals, it's just hacking on pals. you. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Let's talk about some of the things that they got right historically in Tombstone. Okay. Yeah.
Okay, so the shootout at the OK Corral. Yes. So the line quoted by Doc at the end of the fight at the OK Corral is historically true and was reported in the Tombstone Papers reporting on the fight. When confronted by one of the cowboys at point blank range, the cowboy reportedly said, I got you now, Doc, you son of a bitch, which Doc gleefully retorted, you're a daisy if you do. So cool, man. That's so cool. You know, Daisy. On that subject, yeah. listen to what Wyatt Earp actually said about Doc Holliday. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I love this. It says, some years after the death of Doc Holliday, Wyatt was quoted in an interview saying, quote, Doc was a dentist, not a lawman or an assassin whom necessity had made a gambler, a gentleman whom disease had made a frontier vagabond, a philosopher whom life had made a caustic wit. A long, lean, ash blonde fellow, nearly dead with consumption, and at the same time was the most skillful gambler and the nerviest, speediest, deadliest man with a six gun that I ever knew. Nice. Incredible. Did you know that there's some talk about whether or not Doc Holliday actually did in Johnny Ringo? Say that again. So Johnny Ringo, it's been reported that Doc Holliday killed Johnny Ringo. He kills him in the movie, right? Shoots yes. him over the yeah. over the temple. Yep. And that's kind of generally accepted as what happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. However, there was a bullet hole in the right temple and an exit wound in the back of Johnny Ringo's head. Okay. His revolver had one round expended, and he was found with his gun in his hand, mm-hmm. finger on the trigger. Yep. And his boots were tied to his saddle okay okay so some people reported it as a suicide Hmm. okay okay my question is when you commit suicide how many people put the gun to their temple i don't know so they they tie your boots to your saddles yeah so scorpions and snakes can't get in your boots right if you're gonna commit suicide why bother right yeah i don't buy it i don't either i think doc holiday killed him I think so, too. Okay, so we know that Curly Bill in the movie shoots Fred White, right? Yes. Marshall. Yes. Apparently, that's actually historically accurate as well. Apparently, White Earp had heard the scuffle going on between the two men. He rushes out there to try to help out. And he's whenever White Earp is patting down Curly Bill, Fred White tries to take the gun out of Curly Bill's hand. The gun goes off and kills Fred White. So that's, it was a little bit different than how it was portrayed, but it's still kind of this accident. Like Curly Bill's, you know, he's like, get up, you know, come on, Fred. Like it was an accident. And so that was true. Like they didn't know if it was really a murder or it was just an accidental shooting, you know, as he's trying to grab the gun out of him. Right. And so that's why Curly Bill in real life didn't go to prison for this. It was deemed not enough to convict him of murder. I also know the true story, like Virgil got shot in the arm and like destroyed his arm. He had nerve damage. Yep. Morgan got shot in the back. Yeah. Morgan's actually went through his right shoulder and out his left shoulder. Like it went through his Whoa. back. Like it was bad. It was worse than they portrayed it in the movie. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. You know, White Earp never, ever got hit by a bullet. That is insane. <laughs> like, never. Like, he, at the shootout at the river where Curly Bill gets killed. Yeah, and they're like, like that's true. That really yes. happened. And it's this crazy, you know, he's out there in the middle of the fight. No. Yeah, I don't know if it was that crazy, <laughs> but it was still pretty crazy. And they said afterwards, his coat was full of bullet holes, but none of them had actually touched him. Unbelievable. 
Unbelievable. You're saying God reached down from heaven and stopped those bullets from hitting us? <laughs> That's fascinating. It's a man. miracle. All right, let's talk about the line, I'm your Huckleberry. Okay. Well, I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your Huckleberry. Why, Johnny Ringo, you look like somebody just walked over your grave. Great line. Yeah. It's punctuated so well in the movie. What does it mean? I didn't know until I started doing some research. Tell me what you found out. All right. So here's here's the take, right? Yeah. That the handles on a coffin uh-huh. are called huckles. Okay. So essentially it was, I'm your huckle bearer, right? Okay. So a huckle bearer is somebody who is your pallbearer. Okay. So essentially saying, I'm going to carry your body at your funeral. Interesting. But what's an actual huckleberry? Isn't that like a little like spur, like it's a little a cartoon pointy? dog from the seventies? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, all I know is that is supposedly where that came from. I'm your huckleberry. So there you go. Okay, guys, we're going to take a brief intermission and go to our Shirley Showcase. Yeah, that's right. This week, we've got Jeff Mazuka from the 30-something movie podcast. Jeff's a good friend of ours, along with John and Pat and Bo and Dennis. Those guys over there are great. He's a better friend of mine than yours. I think. Is he? <laughs> yeah, uh, he likes me better. Well... <laughs> I swear, I when I don't give him, it away, don't give it away. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> hey guys, it's Jeff Mazuka, co-host of the Thirty Something Movie Podcast. I'm calling in with my final judgment on one of your pairings because Jason had reached out to me. Well, he'd actually reached out to Pat, but had accidentally sent Pat's message to me, but assured me that he had meant to reach out to me as well so I might actually be responding to a pity invite. Regardless, the episode that I'm calling in about is Jaws versus Jurassic Park. And where do I even begin? I've shared with you how the pairing of these movies blew my mind when I first heard you talk about it, and I can't tell you how many times the question of Jaws versus Jurassic Park will pop into my head completely out of the blue. So on what merit does one make this decision? I love both of these movies equally and really dig the similarities between them, despite being almost 20 years apart. The mere fact that Spielberg had the forethought to do as much as he did with so very little when making Jaws so early in his career is quite remarkable. The minimal approach to the movie monster goes a long way in selling the threat to movie-going audiences, and John Williams' music also works on a minimal level. I believe it was Dee who had pointed out in your episodes that it was essentially two notes that drove the whole musical narrative forward and the manipulation of those two notes and the tempos and the pitch and tone that helps perceive the threat as being more real or less of a threat. I could go on and on about Jaws because I love that movie. But then there's Jurassic Park. Again, you get Spielberg taking a stab at making a monster movie, but you get the sense that he had learned so much from his time making Jaws and he was not going to make the same mistakes. He took a chance on utilizing CGI to showcase his dinosaurs, which was a huge risk. And with a great risk comes a great reward because his dinosaurs are magnificent, but he still knew when to do more with less, like the tremor vibrations in the puddle to help indicate the threat of the T-Rex. He's showing us that he's a much more disciplined director at this point in his career, and John Williams' score seems more full and rich and dynamic, 
also showcasing a more matured artist with the themes that both fly and terrify, thrill and chill. Jurassic Park landed at a pivotal time for me in terms of grasping my intrigue. One of those formative type movies for anyone who considers himself a movie fan. It was the same sense of awe and wonder I had after I first saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's a film that just lands at the right time to pique enough interest and again create such a sense of awe and wonder. Plus, I just finished reading the novel in a joint educational effort between my freshman year, English, and biology classes, so I was all in on this movie. But would there even be a movie of Jurassic Park without there having been Jaws? And if there was, would Spielberg still have directed it? And if so, would he have been able to deliver on the same level as what he gave us? Or was Jaws a necessary part of the Jurassic Park equation? So does that earn it the title of better movie because of its foundational principles? When I look around at the movie posters on display in my man cave, there is only one of the two on display. Because this movie came out at just the right time for me and because I had such a strong connection to it, and because it had done just a little bit more to help shape my interest in movies, I'm going to have to side with Jason and say that Jurassic Park narrowly beats out Jaws as being the better movie for me. Thank you guys for giving me such a great question to ponder and for giving me the opportunity to share my thoughts. Keep up the great work. Ah, uh, Jeff, what? No, okay, I don't blame you. I don't blame you because it was an influential time. Siding with Jason. I can't believe he doesn't have a Jaws poster. How do you not have a Jaws poster you in your Jaws man cave? Poster. I know, right? You need to get oh. on that. I'm giving us a pat on the back, too, because that's a great matchup. Heck yeah, it is. If you miss those, that's a three-parter back in the summer of 2020. And every second is gold. <laughs> that was back <laughs> in the middle of COVID when we had nothing better to do than just talk about Jaws and Jurassic Park. Yeah. And for the record, Jeff, I swear I did text Pat right before you. <laughs> And I copied and pasted, but I didn't change the wording from Pat to Jeff. I swear it's not a pity invite. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you. You guys over there at 30-something, keep up the great work. You guys are awesome. All right. Now back to the show. Let's talk about that. Tom Mix wept. We yeah. talked about he this. He said that at the very end of the movie. That's the last line of the movie. And right. Tom Mix wept. And you said, who the heck is Tom Mix? That didn't mean anything to me. Right. So Tom Mix was one of the very first movie cowboys and one of the most famous movie cowboys and the old knock when you the knock that everybody does you know shave and haircut two bits the second line of that song is who knows the barber tom mix that's where the song came from it's, wow that's how famous he is so it's a big deal that he wept at Wyatt Earp's funeral and was a huckle bearer for him that is that's that's a great story Somewhere, Roger Rabbit is going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for that. Waiting for that. You know who almost directed Tombstone? This was in an interview in the late 90s. John Carpenter almost directed Tombstone. I can't figure that out. But John, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell were... You mean like maybe they were going to call John Carpenter instead of George Costamos, Costamos whatever well, the guy's name is? think about it. When Kurt Russell looks around and there's nobody directing except for him. Yeah, I guess. Hey, I, I know a guy does a good job. <laughs> John right. Carpenter, Escape from New York, The, the thing. thing. Yeah, right. that would have been an interesting take. Mm -hmm. All right, let's. I got a couple of stories for you on Young Guns. So let's flip back over to Young Guns. Okay, okay. yeah, sounds good. All right, so Christopher Kane, 
the director of Leon yeah. Guns. Yeah. He is Dean Kane's father. Superman? Yeah. Okay. Of Lois and Clark, right? Yeah. Dean Kane. Yeah. So Dean Kane was a football player. He was at Princeton. I think he had been in a few movies while he was in high school and college. Anyway, he came to visit the set. Uh-huh. And he brought his girlfriend, Brooke Shields. What? <laughs> Brooke Shields. So wait, 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 wait. Dean Kane and Brooke Shields went to okay, Princeton so at the same time. They're the same age? I guess so. I guess she was pretty young whenever she was pretty popular. She was super young in yeah. Blue Lagoon. Blue Lagoon. Yeah. So they show up. It's funny because even if you're a member of the Brat Pack, yeah, which Lou Diamond Phillips said, being in this movie automatically made me a member of the Brat Pack. Right. You can still be starstruck. Yeah. So when Brooke Shields show up, apparently all the guys were like, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> Dean Kane was like, hey, man. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Just a couple of things. There was a scene cut. Uh-huh. Where Charlie goes to a whorehouse, right? Okay. You actually see him visit a prostitute. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she they're making their transaction or whatever. And he says, ma'am, I just want to hold you. Okay. Uh-huh. I remember that. Okay. There's a scene that was uh, another additional scene that was cut that sort of further explained that. That's Charlie's mother. Yeah, I'm glad they cut that scene. It's that kind of would have been weird. Well, Casey Shemesco was like, I wish they'd let that in. That was kind of yeah. Didn't really fully explain what was happening. There. Uh-uh. No, thank you. <laughs> no, I- no. I'm happy that they just moved on quickly. Yeah. Okay. Now then, I listened to the commentary. All right. If you grew up in the 90s, you know the song Regulate by Warren G. Yeah. Play it right here. Regulators. You regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. Gotta be handy with the steel if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. Regulators! Mount up. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warren G was on the streets trying to consume some skirts for the. You have that whole monologue at the beginning that's directly lifted from Young Guns. And it's Casey Schmesco and Charlie Beaudry saying, You gotta be handy with the steel. Can't be any geek off the street. Right. That whole thing. So in the commentary, they're like, hey, Casey, how much you get paid for that song, man? That song was everywhere. And he's like, what are you talking about? What song? (laughs) (laughs) Like that song, that rap song. It's like, I don't know what you guys. And I believed him that he legitimately did not know anything about that song. Oh, my gosh. That's that's hilarious. How about that? That's good. I'm breaking myself. I can't believe they taking Warren's wealth. They took my rings. They took my Rolex. I looked at the brother, said, damn, what's next? They got my homie. Uh, one other thing. They talked about how cold it was the day that they shot John Tunstall's murder. Okay. Right? Yeah. So it's so cold. It's like the coldest day on the set. And they're, of course, they're out in the middle of New Mexico uh-huh. in the wintertime. Yep. They said that the stuntman, who his job was to stand up, get shot, fall off the stage. Right. Or fall off the cart or whatever. Okay. So when he hit the ground, it was like hitting concrete. Oh. He had to go to the hospital. Oh, no. <laughs> and the last story I have for you. Okay. The soundtrack for Young Guns 2. Okay. I tried to entice you going track by track. You did. But I couldn't. No, you couldn't. This album meant so much to me the summer of 1990. I'm sorry to dance on your grave that's and okay. rain on your parade. That's man. okay. So that's terrible. So everybody hit us up on Facebook, tell D that he should listen to the Young Guns 2 soundtrack. But here's the deal. Does this mean we can't be friends? <laughs> Why? Well, I thought we couldn't be friends. I couldn't bear it. So Emilio Estevez is good buddies yeah. with John Bon Jovi. 
Okay. All right? Yeah. And I think it's because Richie Sambora at the time had been dating Ali Sheedy. So you got... Too complicated. It's got, you got, (laughs) yeah, you got Breakfast Clubbers linked to Bon Jovi and that's how it works. Right, right. So John Bon Jovi visited the set and he was hanging around and Emilio said, I want you to provide a song for the movie. Mm -hmm. He goes, I want you to let us use Wanted Dead or Alive. Right. And John's like, well, okay, but those lyrics don't really fit the story of the movie. True. He's like, so let me, let me just write something. Uh-huh. So they all go out for cheeseburgers one day, right? right? So they're all sitting around a table and Kiefer Sutherland said that John actually just started to get quiet and he uh-huh. started to write on a napkin. Uh-huh. And they're all just munching, just hanging out and munching. Drinking beers and eating burgers. Just hanging out. Yeah. And he said after about 10 minutes, John laid the napkins in front of Emilio and said, here's the song and it's going to be a hit. That song, Blaze of Glory. That's number three. Yeah. Emilio still has those cocktail napkins framed in his house. Oh, that's awesome. I wish I could get a picture of those. Yeah. So good. Yeah, that's awesome. The soundtracks uh, score-wise on these are not amazing. I liked the soundtrack on Young Guns 2 better than the one on Young Guns 1. Although the one on Young Guns 1 did a nice job of being kind of edgy and more 80s sounding. But uh, they brought Alan Silvestri in to do the soundtrack for... Part two, we don't remember. We remember Alan Silvestri from Back to the Future, of course, on *Romancing the Stone*, and then, of course, he went on to do, you know, the Marvel movies, which is not an insignificant thing at all. Right. For *Tombstone*, our composer was a guy named Bruce Brought. Okay. He had done mostly TV series. And the one that like the last TV series that he that he composed for before he hit the big movie scene, everybody knows his song. It's the theme from Dallas. Whoa! Yeah. And so right after that, he composed the theme for, he composed the score for Silverado. Okay. Kevin Costner, all that good stuff, right? And so then that, you know, that leads him down a path of more movies, most of which you probably don't know. He did The Monster Squad, though. That's one. He also did Lost in Space, which came out in 98. But this one, I thought he did a fantastic job of putting music that led the story without being overwhelming. All right. So the composer for Young Guns 1 is this guy named Anthony Marinelli. Okay. Okay. Now, the interesting thing about Anthony Marinelli, he worked for Quincy Jones. Okay. Marinelli and his former partner, Brian Banks, are credited with performance and synthesizer programming on Thriller. What? Oh my gosh. The same guy. Yes. The same guy who wrote the score for Young Guns performed on Thriller. Yeah. He also was involved with the soundtrack for War Games and Over the Top, just to throw a couple. Oh, and Demolition Man, if you had to sit through that. Nice. (laughs) John Reed loves Demolition Man. He didn't even know what the shells are for. Okay. So before we get to Final Judgment, there's one piece of the pie that I want to talk about from Young Guns 2. Okay. Okay. And I think we talked about it briefly, but Young Guns 2 takes the legend of Brushy Bill Roberts. Oh, 
Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. This is huge. Yeah. We got to talk about this. Yeah. So there's a guy who said, I am Billy the Kid. I mean, the movie begins with Brushy Bill in the desert saying, I want my pardon from Governor Wallace like I was promised before I die. Yes. Yes. True. That is true. This is literally this guy existed and claimed to be Billy the Kid. Like they had court cases about it. I know, right? They wanted to exhume Billy the Kid's mother to take her DNA to compare it with Brushy Bill. Because they couldn't take Billy the Kid because his grave had like gotten washed away in a flood. That's and they right. didn't know where he was we buried. We don't anymore. know where his body is. Right. It's incredible that like researchers have, they've done facial recognition. They did an unsolved mysteries on this guy. I mean, this is not, this is a real deal, but they did the ninety. 90- Three percent match. That's pretty solid. That I mean, seems like a big deal to me. I mean, because you just got to think about it. Not only did this guy claim to be Billy the Kid. Yes. Which I mean, let's just think about it. Just to make that claim, you got to be. If you were crazy, right? You, you got, you're going to be like, okay, but you don't look anything like him, right? Right. right. No, this guy looks like him. 93 percent, and apparently he knew stories that. Only Billy or somebody who had ridden closely with Billy would have known. Listen to this. Yeah. Former Jesse Evans gang member Jim McMichaels, along with Severo Gallegos, Martil Abo, and Jose Montoya, all of whom had known Billy the Kid, signed affidavits verifying their belief that Brushy Bill Roberts was in fact Billy the Kid. Pat Garrett had quickly buried the body after the death. Yep. Quickly. Yes. And somebody that was there with him was like, nope, that wasn't Billy the Kid. That was some other guy that he buried. Right. So the witnesses, right, were Poe, the guy that Vigo Mortensen, he had never seen Billy the Kid to recognize him. Right. Yeah. Pat Garrett. Of course, you had Billy the Kid in the room and it was dark. Yeah. One of the people there said that's not Billy the Kid. Right. Okay. Are we about to go to final judgment? Yes. Okay. So there's one more thing that we've overlooked. And I cannot bear to overlook it. Okay. We didn't bring him up in casting. We didn't bring him up in lines. But other than Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, he probably has the most memorable lines in the whole movie. Mr. Billy Bob Thornton as Johnny Tyler. What? Johnny Tyler! Madcap. Nice. So... All of those lines. Johnny Tyler. This is Billy Bob's breakout performance, right? Like he went on to become a megastar after this movie. Like Sling Blade made him something special. We had Simple Plan. I mean, he he did a lot of great stuff. But this was really the first movie that you saw him in. He was a tub. He rises out of a tub like you. So he's got all these (laughs) lines that he's spitting out. I can't tell you how many times I've said, it's like I'm playing cards with my brother's kids or something. (laughs) Right? So. None of those lines were scripted. All they said to Billy Bob Thornton was, go be a bully. Christ almighty, it's like I'm sitting here playing cards with my brother's kids or something. And he threw all of those gold nugget genius quotable lines out all on his own. That's awesome. You back that queen one more time. I'm going to blow you up that. (laughs) Sorry, I can't say the rest of that line. Wildcat's ass. Sorry. (laughs) Is that a fact? Mm. Fact that is a fact. <laughs> All right, are we ready for final judgment between these three awesome movies? Yeah, this is really hard. This is really hard, but play your final judgment music. Here it comes. 
Okay. You go first. <laughs> all right. All right. I, I really think I'm going to be in the minority. Okay. 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 All right. Here is my final judgment. Before I give that to you, let me just throw this out. Okay. Yeah. I was born in 1973, which meant I was about 15, 16, 15 when Young Guns 1 came out. I was 17 when Young Guns 2 came out. I was a young gun. Okay. So when I saw those two movies first, they blew me away. You know, the the idea of MTV cowboys really appealed to me. These guys are a little bit older than me, not a lot older than me, but they're gunslingers, they're lawmen, they're wild, they're rebels, they're having fun, they're shooting up the old west. Who wouldn't want to do that? Right. And then you take Tombstone, which I saw in college, which I loved, and it's totally quotable. Mm-hmm. Okay. I loved all the Wyatt Earp stuff, but that's the, those guys were older men, right? Yeah. Now, had tons of fun. Doc Holliday is awesome. Kurt Russell is kicking butt as well, Wyatt Earp. But the love story is like an anchor around the neck of someone trying to swim. It just totally fell flat for me. Okay. Yeah. So I am going to rank Young Guns one. As number one. Okay. Right behind it, Young Guns 2 at number two. And then in last place, but just by millimeters, is Tombstone. Oh, my word. They're all interchangeable. I can throw any in at any time and watch the whole thing. No, 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 no. All right. What do you got? What do you got? I got a loss of respect for you, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I watched Young Guns 1 and Young Guns 2. With my boy. Yes. Right. Caleb. Yeah. Um, I wanted to watch Tombstone with him, but basically I, I couldn't get it in in the time that we had. Right. He actually got in a fight at school. It's <laughs> finished from school. I'm a little worried it was had something to do with the movies we watched. <laughs> anyway. Did he say I'm your huckleberry? <laughs> right. Kind of. That's the way it went. Yes. So going into this, like my preconceived notion, I was like, okay, I know I'm picking Tombstone. As the winner. Yeah. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, man, I really did like Young Guns 2. It was really, really good. And it was better than Young Guns 1. And so I got it. It may be, it may push out Tombstone. Tombstone may go to number two. Young Guns 2 may go to number one. Okay. Once I watched the movies, I completely threw all of that out. Okay. Completely threw it out. So I remembered Young Guns 1 as being kind of, it seemed like it was grainy and old fashioned. And it was which didn't appeal to me when I was in my teenage years, but now looking back at it, it's a better made movie. It's a better made movie than Young Guns 2. And my 11 year old agreed with me. When we got, when we're three quarters into Young Guns 2, he's like, that's a great movie, but it's not as good as Young Guns 1. I was like, wow. Smart boy. Wow. And he was really upset that they killed Dick. I was talking to I was talking to my wife in the car. We're taking him to practice, and I'm talking about Young Guns One, and he's like, "I can't believe they killed Dick." <laughs> She's like, "Well, I haven't seen it, so thanks for giving that up." <laughs> so I flipped on those. I don't think Young Guns Two is better. Uh, it's good. It's a great movie, but it's not better than one. One is better. But when we come in for the number one spot, I have to say Tombstone. Yes, the love story is terrible. And yes, you could cut it out and you would have a perfect movie. It is imperfect because of the love story. Yes. But when you're comparing the good parts of Tombstone versus anything in in Young Guns 1 or 2, Tombstone wins the day, hands down. 
Young Guns 1 comes in second place, Young Guns 2 and third. That's my final judgment on it. Okay. Yeah. All right, everybody out there, we want to hear from you. Let us know. These are three great movies. How do we do? Yeah. And you've stuck with us this long. Hit that subscribe button, right? Hit the follow button. Make sure that you get our next episode, um, which will be out next Tuesday. And we are going to cover two awesome albums and bands from 1986. Woo! Run DMC and the Beast of Boys. Yeah, fight to your right. It's tricky. <laughs> 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 all right thank you very much we'll see you next week 